So, hello everyone. Today it's the 20th of January, 2023 already. That's amazing. This is the third in our series on UK-India commerce. And today the subject is uh, possibilities for mutual growth in fintech. And I am joined by uh, my colleague Prakash Karai, uh, otherwise known as PK, um, who heads our fintech practice uh, here at uh, Shoesmiths. We're also pleased to be joined by Jana Psaka from Tech UK, who I think we can say is the UK's leading tech trade association. Uh, and very pleased, um, all the way from warm Bengaluru in India, to be joined by Prashanth uh, Ramdas from uh, Kaitan and Co., uh, one of the leading law firms um, in India. So welcome all. I think perhaps we'll jump straight in at a sort of a high level and an introductory level just to set the scene, Jana. And if I can ask you the question, would the fintech sector benefit from an India-UK FTA? And I'm thinking when I ask that question that we've had experience in the past of UK uh, corporations going into India, such as Revolut. I think that was announced like 18 months, two years ago now. And we've had Indian corporations coming into uh, the UK with the um, uh, NPCI coming in. Uh, they were doing uh, uh, basically allowing Indian citizens to make rupee, effectively rupee payments um, in the UK when they buy when they buy uh, uh, goods in the UK. So that's you know it's quite. You could say things are happening anyway, but I think in the context perhaps of uh, of maybe a India UK FTA to set the scene. Thanks and uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, thanks for inviting me uh, on this podcast. So I think um, uh, before kind of delving uh, into the UK India FTA, uh, it's very important to uh, sort of discuss why actually or where those uh, mutual opportunities for growth lie when it comes to UK India uh, uh, cooperation on fintech. I think it's a great time uh, for uh, both countries, UK and India, to strengthen cooperation uh, on fintech and uh, in more general terms on digital uh, tech. Mm -hmm. uh, the reason for that is that uh, we see a number of uh, commercial and uh, ma market factors for that cooperation, right? So we have um, uh, the UK uh, holding its top space as uh, Europe's uh, fintech hub while uh, India is on the verge of becoming one of the largest uh, Asia's fintech uh, hubs um, and is also kind of, you know, increasing its uh, adoption rate of fintech products. Mm -hmm. uh, we see the emergence, increasing emergence of fintech unicorns. But at the same time, uh, India has one of the largest unbanked uh, population uh, in the world, creating commercial opportunities not only for local, but also international, including uh, UK uh, fintech providers. And obviously, uh, UK's uh, fintech proposition is clear. Uh, uh, access to funding, world-class talent. Um, uh, and proximity to uh, obviously very innovative uh, financial services industry. And last but not least, uh, it's forward thinking to regulation, uh, to which I will come uh, later. Mm. So all those sort of factors, obviously market, uh, market uh, sort of indication factors play uh, into uh, advantage of fintech providers. Um, and when it comes to UK-India FTA, obviously uh, the FTA negotiations were launched last year at the beginning of 2022. Yeah, yeah. And that came on the back of uh, UK-India roadmap 
2030 roadmap for future UK-India relationships. So both countries kind of agreed to revive its partnership. And that's obviously within the context of uh, UK's post-Brexit trade strategy, but also geopolitics, right, which kind of, you know, translated into uh, UK's uh, giving more importance to India, UK still towards Indo-Pacific and uh, sort of um, um, giving a priority status to India market, not only from defense, but also from trade perspective. Yeah. Uh, but sort of going back to uh, your initial question of FTA, uh, I think it's uh, important to sort of uh, ask question, not how be- how fintech providers can benefit from FTA, but uh, what does uh, UK-India FTA need to look like uh, mm-hmm. in order to benefit those fintech providers? Uh, what we have seen so far that the UK has done really well when it comes to free trade agreements to date, especially from a digital trade perspective. Uh, all sort of uh, free trade agreements that have been rene- re- renegotiated or negotiated from scratch mm. to date include a comprehensive uh, digital chapter. UK Japan SIPA, UK Australia FTA, UK New Zealand, and uh, UK Singapore Digital Economy yeah. Agreement. Yeah. Uh, digital chapter is still a novelty in the world of trade or in a world of free trade agreements, but it's very important for uh, digital tech companies, so including fintech providers. And uh, so in order for sort of fintech cooperation to thrive, we need a comprehensive FTA, but also comprehensive digital chapter. Uh, Access to data, very important for fintech providers, whether that's in India or here in the UK. Um, And in order to have a comprehensive digital chapter, uh, it needs to include a number of things. Obviously, provisions on on cross-border data flows without compromising data protection standards, which in practice means that... uh, India, Indian fintech companies, but also UK can uh, can sort of you know transfer data across borders without having any uh, any sort of you know restrictions facing any mm-hmm. restrictions. Another very important one, and you mentioned already Revolut, but we have also other examples that uh, I think have been impacted uh, and have been impacted by data lo- localization requirements. Mm-hmm. Which again, very contentious issue, but I would say it's one of the sort of uh, uh, top priority uh, yeah, for, yeah. especially for our members when it comes to UK and the FTA mm-hmm. and generally trading across borders. Uh, so data localization requirement is one of the costliest uh, trade barriers, unnecessary trade barrier. Uh, fintech companies, uh, obviously those that are kind of looking uh, at the new export markets, uh, are required to set up still shop server uh, in an overseas market, even yeah. before actually formally committing to that market, which again pose is, is an extra cost yeah. for them and making them globally less competitive. And then uh, it's a regulatory cooperation, another very important provision that uh, um, uh, we see across FTAs and uh, we definitely would like to see it in a new UK-India uh, FTA as well, regulatory cooperation, which... A value in regulatory cooperation is threefold. It definitely kind of identify and addresses uh, market access barriers, regulatory mm-hmm. barriers, but it also um, kind of you know facilitates uh, innovation in uh, emerging tech. And in fintech, uh, it's uh, we're talking about open banking, sustainable finance, digital payments, and so on. So it kind of commits both parties, where they kind of commit to regulatory cooperation. Uh, it commits both parties to bring regula- regulators from both sides to the table to share information, to yeah. build that trust, which again benefits businesses uh, at the end of the day. And uh, third point I wanted to make is it also supports cooperation on international level. 
level. And now with India's presidency of G20, uh, this is also a great time to sort of, you know, for India um, uh, to sort of drive uh, drive a initiative in this space. But we, ho- we have to also acknowledge that UK and India are at a very different stage of uh, uh, regulating mm. their uh, domestic legislation on data uh, and international data transfers. So it's definitely, it's still, it's not an, it's not an easy task, uh, yeah. I guess. Um, uh, but we, we can also, there are other avenues outside FTAs, uh, for example, fintech bridges, right? Yeah. We've been calling on government to replicate uh, fintech bridges across other markets. We have fintech bridge with Singapore, very yeah. successful, yeah. very good model for cooperation. Is it uh, sort of uh, possible to replicate it across other markets? Again, it very much depends on the commitment, but also development of domestic legislation in those markets. But I do believe that uh, UK, uh, fintech bridge could be uh, avenue, could be a platform or a model for UK India cooperation on fintech. Uh, because it's a sort of a structure, it provides a platform for structure engagement to address trade, investment, but also technological innovation, which I think uh, in area of fintech uh, is uh, is very important. Yeah, so yeah. I'll stop here. Uh, no, no, but I mean, especially, that's very good. Uh, I mean, especially in relation to the possibility of a full blooded trade agreement being much slower to come out of the. Mm out of the various governments, um, then a bridge would be, uh, you know, the, a nice niche, uh, a neat solution potentially to the, to the challenges. Um, I think we'll come back to perhaps later the sort of balkanization of data and our country is a weak link and that creates tensions with other, other trade um, relationships, uh, for example, UK, EU relationship. But, uh, just as the segue on the regulatory point, um, a question uh, for you, if I may, um, Prashanth, um, on the regulatory side, and just thinking about you know some specific aspects. So, if we think about uh, digital lending, the you know buy now pay later market was projected to um, have significant growth uh, in India, but the Reserve Bank of India sort of published guidelines on digital lending. And according to those guidelines, um, intended to address concerns about various aspects, um, the impression I uh, have is that that has created something of a cold shower um, for digital lending. But perhaps you could comment on that and more broadly, the sort of regulatory aspect uh, and how you see that for the fintech sector in India. Sure, Kiran. So, uh, so in India, I think obviously, you know, the last few years have kind of seen significant growth, uh, you know, in uh, adoption of, of fintech products, you know, across, you know, the retail sector, mm-hmm. uh, especially after the pandemic, uh, you know, uh, began in 2020 and various lockdowns, uh, which were imposed across the country, which forced uh, uh, Indian citizens to generally adopt uh, digital products and fintech products, uh, especially in the financial services space, and and uh, this kind of led to uh, a, a lot of uh, uh, a lot of companies uh, also innovating and and offering customized uh, lending products to customers, including you know the buy now pay later product, which is which is uh, very very popular across e-commerce platforms in India. And which enables customers to to purchase, uh, you know, uh, retail uh, uh, products uh, on on credit. Uh, however, I think you know uh, uh, this also kind of coincided with 
with a lot of consumer complaints uh you know which which were uh, raised by by consumers uh, uh uh you know during that time period uh and and also uh, due to certain dodgy uh, collection and recovery practices yeah, uh, which right. which some fintech companies really adopted uh, which which unfortunately you know led to uh, customer suicides and 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 police complaints uh, and the like Uh, so this really kind of pushed the government to uh, request the central bank the reserve bank of india to to look into the issue and and, and the uh, the rbi uh, the reserve bank uh, set up a working group to actually study the digital lending industry uh, this was i think back in november 2020 uh, and and, uh, and and the working group uh, you know took took their time to kind of uh, uh speak to the industry folks uh, and understand uh, the various practices which are being adopted uh, mm-hmm. in the industry uh, after which uh, you know they issued their report uh, to the rbi along with certain recommendations on how the rbi can can can, can regulate uh, the industry uh, you know to improve customer protection mm-hmm. uh, and transparency uh, in, in offering uh, lending products uh and uh, and and also various other aspects of of digital lending right so so uh, so this report was was issued uh, uh uh you know by the working group basis which the rbi uh, framed draft guidelines uh and issued those guidelines uh, last september right so yeah. yeah so so uh while the guidelines uh, you know obviously uh, specifically define uh digital lending uh and and kind of try to uh, tries to uh, uh overall kind of boost uh, uh transparency disclosure and customer protection related uh, compliances uh the guidelines also specifically you know require lenders to report uh, uh bnpl loans because these are all typically short term loans yeah. which previously were were not being reported uh, uh because the timeline for reporting was not aligned with uh, with the tenor of these loans mm. so so the rbi kind of made it very clear that all all customer loans must be reported to the uh, to the credit bureaus Yeah. Uh, including the bnpl loans uh, and uh, while the working group had recommended that rbi uh, must must cap the interest rates and and uh, regulate the short term loan products the rbi has right now kind of uh, uh, not really uh, uh, regulated the interest rates or the structuring of these products so that's being left to the to the lenders and the fintech players uh but but overall i think the uh, the the new guidelines are a step in the right direction right. Uh, because uh, end of the day uh, a lot of investors who were looking into the fintech sector in india uh, obviously were wary about uh, you know how uh, the rbi guidelines would pan out and and yeah. and, and whether it would really adversely affect Uh, the business models being adopted uh, in the fintech space uh, and 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 to that extent at least the the new guidelines kind of uh, you know uh, clearly kind of uh, outline you know w- w- what are the right compliances to uh, which must be in place uh, for these companies uh, and it kind of also boosts uh, overall investor sentiment in the sector mm. uh, 
while there are obviously uh, two three areas where uh, where the industry is facing issues uh, uh, such as the fldg uh, first loss default guarantee uh, structures which were prevalent in the market which the rbi has discouraged uh, going forward and and other issues operational issues in relation to the fund flows for digital lending etc uh, i think overall the rbi uh, has been very consultative about uh, these issues i think last month the the governor of the rbi met with various fintech companies in india uh, and and kind of uh, assured them that uh, the rbi will adopt a participative approach uh, to to regulating fintech companies and and they they want to kind of encourage innovation in the sector so uh, so overall it it looks like uh, you know the the rbi will support uh you know the growth of the sector in the long term uh, mm-hmm. while at the same time balancing any systemic risks uh, which it foresees and and ensuring uh, full customer protection yeah very interesting uh i mean that sounds like a wise form of um regulatory intervention um to address certain concerns obviously that's created a transaction cost for the fintech sector but it seems not an unreasonable one um and and then they're letting the market develop and see how things turn out which i think is is uh, as i say a, a sensible approach um perhaps i can turn to the uk then um pk i mean the uk government has um probably not had the same sorts of issues as uh, in the market as uh, as in india but um you know again um regulatory um discussions and interventions have been discussed particularly in the buy now pay later uh aspect of advertisements being fair and clear and 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 the like um would you be would you think do you think it's fair to say that we've gone from no regulation to light touch and where do you think matters may go uh thank you kiran it's it's an interesting one because when i think about um financial services regulation and the environment in which financial services businesses operate in the UK um and the the organizations and players around that for example the fintechs the challenge that um the regulator has that it is that it wants to obviously make sure that consumers are protected um but also wants to make sure that it's doing it in a way whereby it's encouraging activity and growth and innovation yeah so taking by now pay later as an example um there's no denying that there's been this tremendous growth in the buy now pay later space i think in 2020 uh, it trebled in size um it's slightly outdated but you know it's still massive growth um um one thing was clear uh, and this has sort of been sort of confirmed by various reports and reviews that have been done is that people were buying good services um utilizing the buy now pay later um offering and not fully being aware of what they were getting themselves into mm-hmm. so one of the things that um we've got right now and um it, it, it's something that is going to change the buy now pay later space is that whereas beforehand buy now pay later agreements were able to utilize an exemption under financial services uh, law to deal with um credit agreements that's going to change um mm-hmm. and um the government's basically said 
they will not be able to utilize that exemption. The effect of that is to basically start regulating that space yeah. for the protection of consumers. Yeah. So that's going to mean having to be uh, a lot clearer about the advertising, as you said before, and making sure it's fair, it's not misleading, it's clear, so people know what they're getting themselves into. It's also about um, people who are taking out um, these um, these loans effectively mm. um, have access to the protections that other credit agreements might give them. Uh, for example, access to the financial ombudsman service. Now, that's a great example of where the regulators had to look at what's going on, see the market develop, see innovation and technology sort of play a big role in terms of you know providing access to funding mm -hmm. in a way that helps people buy things manage their services but maybe not always knowing what they're getting themselves into and then take a reactive approach to protect consumers just in terms of regulation generally um there's also another thing another area which i think is worth sort of those thinking about doing business in the uk being aware of that sort of comes to mind and that's consumer duty Mm -hmm. um, that's a relatively big change. In fact, it's a very big change in the financial services world where financial services businesses now have uh, a higher bar to meet when it comes to the goods and the, the, the products and services they, they provide to consumers. And it's effectively a duty of care. Yeah. They've got to ensure good outcomes for consumers. And that's not just something for the financial services business itself. Um, it's inevitably going to be affecting the tech providers, the fintech providers that mm. are providing um, their solutions into yeah. um, financial services businesses. Now, I mentioned those two areas, buy now, pay later, and consumer duty um, at a high level, because people might think of that as being, you know, regulator regulating, you know, how is it going to pan out? Is it making things more difficult? But I think that sometimes misses the point of um, what the regulator does. And a great example of that is open banking. Mm -hmm. Years ago, and I was involved in this space, before open banking, um, there was account ag aggregation services where an individual wanted to get a, a better understanding of their finances, um, you know, th their bank account and balances across various bank accounts. They'd have to effectively use workarounds yeah. to be able to collate and aggregate that information. And put very simply, those workarounds were effectively doing things that one shouldn't be doing, disclosing internet logon passwords and, uh, and details. Yeah, yeah using apps to collate that information. The regulator saw this. Mm. Um, uh, we had open banking sort of about five years ago come out and, and, and also PSD too. And what, what open banking created was this new framework, this new world in which there will be a, an opening up, a liberalization of that data effectively, yeah. but done in the right way without breaking term, a breach in terms conditions, without disclosing yeah. sensitive um, uh, log on details. And fast forward to where we are now in the open banking world, and I think it's been a great success. You've got about six, seven million users of open banking products and services and apps in the country yeah. where people are able to use technology and help it benefit them, manage their finances, as well as do a whole bunch of other things with data that up until about six, seven years ago was effectively stuck on a system somewhere, not being used for any kind of useful um, purpose. Yeah. Now you can use apps and other products and services 
to utilize that data to add benefit to you, to add value to you. Um, and the magic is in the technology and the innovation around that. It's using tech, it's using perhaps AI, it's using other automated means to take that sort of raw transaction data mm -hmm. and to turn it into meaningful information that can make, uh, you know, make C a big difference. Customers' lives easier. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. interesting. So uh, I'm just sort of sure drawing a bit of a comparison between sort of th those areas in which, you know, we see regulation and we don't perhaps always clearly see how it's how it's going to um, be overcome by the players in the space. And then you've got the other example of where we've created a framework using regulation, which is clearly making a difference and opening things up in a way that is benefiting people. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, actually, we're going to take that, I think, as a segue back to you, Jana. But just a quick one, uh, Prashant, for you. Um, PK talked about um, uh, the open banking, for example. If which is a function partly of the market structure. If you if you think about the market structure in India, you'll potentially have different demands or different things coming out of the evolutionary system. I mean, can you can you point to a few things that might be occurring in India just because of the way consumers and fintech companies are are engaging in the market? Definitely. So uh, I think in India, the neo banking or open banking space is again growing rapidly, uh, uh, and in this predominantly uh, is is a partnership between uh, between banks and and fintech companies so i think only a handful of uh, banks in india have developed their own uh, digital banking or or neo banking infrastructure to directly offer digital banking products to customers uh, and uh, what we've traditionally seen is is indian banks uh, are, are still kind of uh, 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 growing in terms of their tech evolution. So they're not very tech savvy and and not uh, uh, in the space where they, they can offer customized, uh, 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 efficient, uh, you know, uh, user experience yeah, yeah. Uh, for customers to 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 uh, to actually uh, uh, you know uh, 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 engage in banking services uh, mm -hmm. and and allow customers to operate you know. Uh, uh, their accounts, etc., in a in a completely remote and digital fashion. Yeah. So that's where the fintech companies really have have stepped up uh, with with developing the 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 required uh, backend infrastructure, uh, which which uh, uh, through which the customers can really kind of interact with the bank. Uh, and and uh, and and this is uh, really kind of seeing a, a lot of growth uh, and a lot of potential for for businesses as well. Uh, and and in, in improving uh, overall efficiency in terms of how businesses interact with banks, uh, and and uh, and avail various services uh, in terms of payouts uh, and 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 general banking services as well, right? So yeah, yeah. Uh, the the RBI from a regulatory perspective has has not yet regulated the space. Uh, there has been a proposal from the government to. Uh, uh, to to look at uh, regulating the space, uh, uh, but there's nothing concrete uh, on that yet. Mm -hmm. uh, I think uh, maybe uh, uh, over the next, I would say, twelve to twenty-four months, we would continue to 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 see uh, you know the the partnership between the banks and the fintechs evolve in the space, uh, and and maybe uh, after that, you know, when the market is is a bit more mature, the RBI might. Uh, come out with with uh, licensing of digital only banks, 
yeah. which which can also improve uh, allow private players uh, non bank entities fintech companies to to formally kind of enter the the banking uh, uh, space and offer uh, you know digital banking services uh, to to indian cons- consumers yeah interesting i mean um yeah it's interesting i mean there's the, the the statement that sort of fintech are stepping into the 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 spaces where trad banks traditional banks are weak or or just not present um and perhaps we'll come back to that but uh yana pk talked about open banking in, uh, as an example as i understood it of the in a sense the regulators working with the operators and and creating or helping to create the market more generally you know how do you think the regulatory environment could facilitate growth of fintech um so regulation is definitely um important when it comes to driving innovation and opening the doors uh, for business not only on a domestic but as i mentioned international level as well and the uk in fact uh, is a pioneer in this area right with its regulatory sandboxes so that's a good example uh, of how actually we can sort of drive innovation but as pk mentioned right it's uh, regulators are faced with uh, uh, with a sort of a challenge how to how to uh, design good regulation uh, to protect consumers but also at the same time not to stifle uh, innovation but i think regulatory sandboxes get provide provided opportunity right where actually uh, innovative companies companies, uh, fintech companies can kind of, you know, operate uh, in a space without having to sort of being allowed to make mistakes, basically. Mm-hmm. So we need obviously increased fundings, uh, increased funding for uh, regulatory sandboxes. This is something that we've been calling for because obviously you have only limited cohort of companies per regulatory sandbox. Yeah. Increased funding for that. Increased funding also for new sandboxes, uh, for uh, uh, new inno- new technologies, uh, innovations coming on stream, but it's low, low tech, insure tech. PropTech, WealthTech, all kind of related uh, to FinTech uh, uh, as well. So uh, I think things like that, but, um, and also digital sandbox, because uh, um, financial services or FinTech, obviously they don't exist in silo, they speak to other technologies, uh, including uh, DLT, uh, cybersecurity, AI, digital ID, digital identity. Uh, And obviously they are regulated as well, whether that's in India, in the UK, uh, and and so on. So digital sandbox is another uh, example. But apart from regulation, we also need to think on domestic level how we can sort of support innovation skills, uh, which is very important, not well in fintech and in other tech uh, areas as well. And then obviously coming from international trade perspective, uh, as, as this is what I do, uh, um, uh, my day-to-day job is how we can integrate fintech into UK trade policy, how we can make sure that we support UK fintech uh, exporters, trade policy, but also trade promotion, how we how we make sure that uh, we give enough opportunities to UK fintech providers to go out there and to sell their services. Yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah. So um, on the same theme, really, PK, we uh, 20, February 21, the Khalifa report came out assessing fintech and uh, um, really called or recommended for, for flexibility in assessment, but also consolidation because fintech traditionally, um, by definition, small compared to the, the traditional banks and obviously compared to big tech. But transactions in the fintech space, if you're going to consolidate, um is likely to attract scrutiny. Uh, we certainly see that in the big tech buying fintech um, uh, part of the of the market. But apart from competition law, uh, which I think is its own subject, but not for today, 
What other significant regulatory challenges do you think fintech operators should be looking to um, really expect, possibly fear, but also um, how they can just engage with regulators and perhaps lower their concerns? That's a good question, and I won't go into the competition <laughs> angle there, Kieran. I'll leave it up to you. Um, but uh, it's interesting. I, I, I've been advising um, on this space for nearly 20 years now, uh, since fintech, uh, before fintech was called fintech. Um, and there's a couple of things that come to mind for me um, based upon my experience. Um, the first is, is that there was a time where financial services businesses, you know, banks, insurers, uh, a very long time ago, where when the fintech space was blowing up and sort of becoming its sort of, you know, a thing, a thing <laughs> and sort of, you know, yeah. the, the, the current fintech revolution sort of started, there were quite a few financial services businesses who were being a little bit sort of arm's length about it and thinking that they can do their own innovation in-house um, and they didn't need to sort of do the same thing as other uh, as the fintechs were doing. I think over time where that got to is that we saw a lot more acceptance of there being a possibility of the financial services businesses working with the fintechs, so mm. a lot more partnering. And I've seen that sort of grow and grow and grow over the years. Collaboration, basically. Collaboration, yeah. effectively, yeah. right? Whether that's sort of buying in, you know, products or services or some other kind of sort of partnering type arrangement. Yeah. And that, that, that's a pretty big milestone that we met, I think, um, in, in the UK. Um, the acceptance of, you know, there being specialist fintech providers who, as their core business, do this. Mm. Um, therefore, they have the expertise and the right sort of innovation and in-house sort of culture to, to, to create something bigger and better. Alongside that, um, I also saw fintechs who up until a certain point in time, and, you know, still get this nowadays, don't fully understand the regulatory environment in which financial services businesses operate. Um, you know, as an example, if you're a financial services business, let's say a bank, and you're going to be outsourcing something, um, you know, a particular function or, or set of activities to a, to a third party, there's a whole bunch of rules and regulations and guidance that you need to have in place and sort of um, uh, adhere to um, for that kind of arrangement. And the, 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 the simple take on it is that you can't just use the delegation or subcontracting or outsourcing as a way of being removed from what's actually happening. Yeah, you're yeah. still responsible for it and you've got to be all over it effectively. Yeah, yeah. The fintechs, up until a point in time, didn't quite understand that world. So you'd almost get this sort of, um, this sort of, um, I wouldn't quite call it conflict, but this sort of bit of a tension when it came to sort of doing things together, yeah. the partnering, the, the, the procurements, the sourcing type stuff. What's happened over time is that the fintechs themselves have started to appreciate that world and understand, you know, things like the EBA outsourcing guidelines, the PRA supervisory statement, FCA guidance on um, on outsourcing and, and cloud use for financial services businesses. And that's therefore meant that because they understand that world a bit better, discussions, negotiation, getting contracts in place 
has become slightly easier. Yeah. Still involves quite a bit of work to make sure the terms and the processes and everything else is, is done properly. But whereas beforehand, there was always this sort of, you know, big tension, there's less of an issue. Yeah, they've got the same vocab now, right? Yeah. A absolutely right, absolutely yeah. right. So, and I've seen that grow sort of, you know, and get better. Mm. So from my perspective, I think, you know, for someone looking to do business in the UK uh, as a fintech, um, alongside everything else is understanding um, the financial services businesses that you may be engaging with, understanding their world, understanding the regulatory environment, and making sure that you sort of engage with them in, in that context. Yeah. I mean, I'm guessing, um, Jana, that, you know, one of Tech UK's goals is to create discussion fora between traditional banks and fintech to to facilitate that sort of evolution in, in the market, right? Yeah, uh, that's correct. Uh, I think at the heart of uh, what we do is to drive innovation, or as you said, to provide a platform for dialogue between regulators, government officials, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, industry representatives at the same time. Because at the end of the day, uh, we need to have an industry-driven discussion. If you want to sort of design policy or sort of regulation that works for business and don't stifle innovation, yeah. and but drive innovation, we need to have an industry uh, at the table. Uh, but also we need the traditional players, obviously, not to exclude those. And I think uh, in financial services in fintech, this is a sort of a specific, very specific uh, uh, sector where you have a traditional players uh, sort of yeah. engaging, mixing with uh, sort of more uh, emerging technologies. Uh, so, yeah, definitely, I think uh, have an informed discussion, um, have a sort of uh, formal, uh, regular, uh, formal uh, or informal sort of, you know, discussions uh, between regulators, government officials and industry to sort of share that information. As I said, build a trust because that's the only way how we can make sure that we create favorable conditions for, uh, for business operation yeah. uh, and then uh, replicate it on an international level uh, yeah. in uh, our case, well, we talk about UK India uh, on a bilateral level. How we can bring regulators from uh, both countries, uh, in this case UK and India, to the yeah. same table yeah, yeah. and talk about emerging uh, technologies, how to regulate them. Yeah. Because if we don't uh, have a sort of common standards or approaches to regulation, obviously we can't have a sort of identical ones. It will no, never happen. No. But at least kind of a com common approach to regulation. In that case, we will kind of you know create more divergence, more problems, issues for uh, UK operators and also Indian operators coming here. Yeah. In yeah. And I assume OECD and even WTO are again discussing this aspect of commerce right so yeah um, yeah absolutely uh, and uh, international fora is a great platform to do that but sometimes obviously it takes time sometimes things are easy to resolve also on bilateral level yeah uh, so uh, yeah, you can't wait for the head to to take the decision <laughs> right? sometimes you have to do it but, uh, yeah sometimes a kind of bilateral level uh, might provide a quicker solution to sort of issues to some issues and but obviously international platforms are, are still sort of the best way to tackle some some of the issues some aspects, yes yeah. PK you got a comment on that yeah fully agree with what uh, Jana said there and I think the other point I sort of emphasize on the back of what you said there Jana is timing Mm -hmm. um, I, I think about um, the 2008 crisis um, as being the time where fintech became this thing 
and it was partly down to the fact that, you know, we were having this crisis and there was a really big need for there to be some kind of change when it came to things like managing finances, access to to, to, to financial products and services. We've got that same environment right now in terms of timing. So the point I'm making there is, is that from a timing perspective, I actually, I, I suppose I'm predicting that we're going to see a lot more innovation because of the state of, you know, the economy here and, and globally as well. So for, from a timing perspective, I think now is the time to be doing that kind of stuff and doing it properly because we can really be fostering um, innovation and creativity um, from, you know, everyone, including fintech. Mm, yeah, interesting. Um, uh, Prashanth, just um, really... A flip question, uh, we were talking about the Khalifa report in the UK and, and the consolidation in the UK sector. But in India, again, consolidation is um, a question to address. And as you know, um, there was the process uh, bill desk transaction, which took absolutely ages, although eventually clearance was obtained. But for whatever reason, perhaps it took, because it took so long, process actually then announced termination of that rather significant transaction. I think they were proposing to have paid for just under $5 billion. So they walked away from it for some reason. So for that example, or, or just generally, you know, what learnings do you think investors have from that deal and just the regulatory environment that they see in India at the moment? Sure. So uh, I think, you know, obviously, uh, from a consolidation perspective, yes, uh, I think, uh, given the current kind of uh, uh, global headwinds in terms of uh, access to capital and the and the and the situation in the west so uh, uh, so there is uh, a sort of a uh, anticipation of a funding winter uh, in 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 india uh, and and most investors are kind of looking at uh, uh, at being careful uh, before kind of cutting out checks uh, and 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 we we expect you know uh, some sort of slowdown in in overall uh, investor funding in the sector this year. Uh, and having said that, uh, given the given the recent regulations as well, a lot of fintech companies have are kind of going back to the drawing board, uh, restructuring you know their their products uh, and also potentially looking at at uh, at consolidation. Uh, and getting an exit uh, as well, right? So uh, mm. overall, uh, we we do expect uh, uh, some M&A activity uh, in in this space uh, going forward. Uh, from a regulatory perspective, I think you know what is uh, important is is to really understand uh, if if the uh, relevant business has any regulated entities within the group. Uh, and uh, if there are regulated entities within the group, then there are you know, obviously a host of uh, approvals which which are required. And, and you mentioned about the, the bill desk transaction, you know, where the clearance from the Competition Commission of India, you know, took a lot of time. And eventually, uh, you know, the process, which was the acquirer, they kind of, uh, called off the deal and and uh, i think uh, uh, they kind of uh, took that decision i think 13 months after signing uh, you know the 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 agreement yeah, yeah. and uh, uh, and while i think competition uh, uh, commission approval took time that was i think because this was a very very big deal in the indian uh, 
uh, payment space because uh, uh, after the merger, this, this uh, would have been the largest payments company in India. Yeah. Uh, and and Buildisk uh, uh, is, is also currently the only profitable uh, payments company in India, right? So, uh, so I think the Competition Commission did ask uh, uh, a lot of questions, and the process did take some time. Uh, and there was also generally a delay in in the parties filing, uh, uh, making the filing uh, with the commission itself. Mm. Uh, but uh, uh, but in terms of why the deal really kind of fell through, a uh, couple of points which we uh, generally need to kind of understand is I think one, uh, the Reserve Bank of India also introduced new guidelines in July last year, which mm. required payment system operators. Uh, uh, like Buildesk to to uh, uh, obtain their approval for change of control. So in addition to the clearance approval from competition commission, uh, the parties had to also approach the RBI for approval, which was uh, uh, a new regulatory approval, which was not anticipated at the time of signing. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so, and the second point is, I think the parties had already extended the long stop date for the deal once already yeah. uh, so uh, i think ultimately uh, uh, given the rbi approval process also would would take uh, uh, around uh, 4 to 5 months uh, uh, the deal was uh, uh, closing for the deal was was kind of uh, going into 2023 which i think process uh, did not really uh, uh, want to kind of extend it further and, and they kind of allowed the long stop date to expire yeah. Uh, yeah. and and hence you know the deal really fell through yeah. uh, it it was uh, obviously not not a not a positive news for the uh, industry as a whole in india uh, but but i think obviously uh, 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 regulatory approvals are, are, are very important in terms of uh, structuring uh, uh, MA deals in india uh, and and uh, and obviously parties need to be a little more uh, conscious about uh, you know the timing aspect of it because uh, the way the indian regulators really work things are not really uh, going to get done at, at breakneck speed so there will there would generally be delays uh, but but in a, de in a deal of this size uh, obviously uh, given the delays in, in getting the uh, uh, competition clearance as well as the new approval for the RBI uh, uh, I think the parties really uh, the acquirer really had to kind of take a call on how much they can wait uh, and that's where I think you know the, the deal fell through uh, yeah. Yeah. But but uh, but I think overall, uh, yes, I mean, uh, 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 we, we would have to kind of uh, investors and acquirers will have to kind of keep these uh, aspects in mind. Uh, and, and hopefully, you know, going forward, uh, parties are more efficient in terms of uh, uh, structuring uh, uh, or planning, you know, the regulatory approvals. Uh, much beforehand uh, so that and, and try to minimize kind of inefficiencies in the process uh, to achieve fast closure in that sense. Yeah. Okay. Very good, Prasant. Yeah. Okay. Listen, I think we're, we've um, we've got to the natural end of our discussion, but I'll, I'll just throw a quick question. We'll go around the table for a brief response um, and maybe just touching on two aspects. So one is we've talked about the traditional banks and, um, in the context of, of fintech and um, 
PK mentioned that there was perhaps a sort of a wariness uh, on the part of the traditional banks, uh, but that's um, the relationship has been warming um, over time. So, do you see do you see now that relationship as what they call co-opetition, sort of cooperative, competitive, uh, a frenemies type relationship, or do you think there's been a uh, a realization by traditional banks that fintech is going to be a big part of the future in financial services and it's just something they have to do um, and a second perhaps point you could i could ask you to comment on is i mean who is going to be making this investment it could be the big banks investing in fintech but it could be others uh, notably big tech so who do you think is going to be to use uh, prashant's expression who's going to be um writing the check on these on the, these, these investments so perhaps if i can start with you yana just to quickly go around the table on that one um, I'm um, not um, a finance expert, but uh, I think we can see also in other tech areas that uh, uh, digital tech and new innovation, you can't really avoid it, right? In order to survive, you need to adopt it or kind of, you know, at least translate it into your operation. Yeah. So I guess we will see uh, traditional banking adopting more and more fintech solution, acquiring potentially uh, fintech operators. Uh, whether we will see that investment coming from tradi traditional banks, yeah, potentially to some extent, but at the same time you see many fintech operators you mentioned at the beginning revolut right that mm. sort of uh, are unicorns and yeah. now at, and these days are multi-billion dollar businesses so i think i see i see both ways but let's see which one will prevail in yeah. the future yeah very good thanks Yana. pk um so so uh, similar similar view um will be from a slightly different angle which is i think it's all driven by um by customers and their expectations um, forget sort of how we've got to where we've got to. Um, we know that, you know, fintechs, the revolutes, the, the monzas of the world have played a big part in terms of, you know, their, their offering and I suppose showing, you know, customers what banking could look like. Um, but there's no denying that the, the bar has now been set quite high in terms of your user experience of your app. Mm -hmm the way that you engage with, you know, your banking yeah. provider, the kind of things that you can do with your apps in terms of insights and data that sort of genuinely make a difference to your life. So I actually think it's all driven by customers and the new higher expectation that's been set in terms of what, um, taking banking as an example, um, what banking should really involve. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. From, from a UK perspective, you can say, you know, everyone's got us. Everyone's got a smartphone and everyone's got a bank account. But uh, if we if we turn now, Prashant, to you in India, um, everyone's probably using Google or has an Android phone. Obviously, other search engines and phones are available. Um, but they've got a huge customer base, um, larger in fact than the traditional banks in India. So, just the the response from you, Prashant, to the to the points about frenemies and traditional banks and where the investment's coming from. Right. So, yeah, obviously, India has a, a different demographic advantage, you know, over our Asian uh, peers as well uh, uh, from a global perspective. So, um, uh, you know, overall, I think uh, we are kind of placed really well uh, to kind of take advantage uh, of of uh, uh, of the growth in, in the overall fintech and financial services space uh, and and also uh, the extended kind of uh, space uh, 
in in open banking in neo banking data is 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 a crucial kind of asset uh, in the in this context and obviously there is a lot of innovation happening uh, uh, in india uh, uh, you know uh, on on various kind of uh, uh, fintech and financial services products right from you know msme uh, small business uh, lending solutions and and overall i think uh, india has have had a good track record of building uh public digital infrastructure which which can be kind of leveraged uh by financial services businesses to provide services we've had you know the 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 jandan aadhar uh, mobile trinity which is essentially you know uh, how, how the government kind of allowed uh, 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 di- uh, di- uh digitization of of identity uh, uh through the aadhar process uh and and the upi uh, unified payment interface which allowed uh, 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 uh you know fuss free uh, seamless transfer of, of funds between accounts mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and 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 obviously you know the the smartphone penetration uh in the over the indian population which which kind of increased uh you know how how customers in india and citizens in india kind of uh, avail financial services Uh, as a whole right so yeah, yeah. Uh, so so i think the next step uh, which we've already kind of started looking at is the account aggregator ecosystem where uh, financial data of indian citizens is, is kind of uh, uh, shared with with relevant service providers in a structured uh, manner with customer consent to enable financial service providers to to easily underwrite customers uh, you know for lending uh, Uh, there is also you know the open credit enablement network which is uh, called oken uh, which is which is a new initiative which kind of links uh, you know various uh, 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 various cogs to kind of really uh, allow uh, uh, traditional banks uh, to 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 lend to the uh, unserved sector till now the small businesses and the msmes in india Uh, where they kind of want to create uh, seamless uh, public digital infrastructure to enable uh, you know uh, access to credit to to these sectors so there is a lot of uh, fintech innovation which is really happening in the country i think it's a matter of time uh, uh, you know by when you know uh, these the, uh, these inefficiencies and uh, and and uh, 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 uh can kind of be fixed and 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 uh, it's a matter of uh, time uh, uh by when you know we we can actually see the the fruits of all these uh, fintech innovation actually flowing down to to the small businesses and the uh, retail consumers in india yeah yeah okay well i think that's that's been very that's been very helpful in time it sounds like the the overall time is is galloping forwards as well but um so that's the that's the natural end of our of our podcast today so thanks prashanth yana pk um uh, myself kiran desai that's the end of our podcast on um possibilities for mutual growth uh, in fintech thank you very much mm-hmm.